We don't just want to provide programs for only the underrepresented minorities, but we also want to make sure that we are educating and supporting the majority community. How can you run more inclusive meetings? Are you a leader that is able to make sure that that diverse talent feels belonged on your team? Welcome to the Greenhouse Podcast, Hiring for What's Next. I'm Daniel Chait, CEO of Greenhouse. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about diversity in hiring. We'll touch on many issues, ranging from attracting a broader slate of candidates to reducing bias in interviewing, to building an inclusive culture, and much, much more. I recently sat down with Madhavi Basan, the head of diversity, inclusion, and belonging, and Brett Coyne, the VP of Global Talent Acquisition at Okta. They have been pushing the boundaries of diverse hiring and coming up with creative solutions to nurturing an inclusive culture. Madhavi and Brett, welcome. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for inviting us. Happy to be here today. Madhavi, you run diversity, inclusion, and belonging at Okta. Brett, you run talent acquisition. Madhavi, how do the two roles work together on these issues? Any DNI professional, you need to have a very strong partnership with the recruiting team. Because a big piece of what we are trying to do at DNI obviously is to make sure that we create more balanced teams, we bring in more diversity into the companies. And DNI cannot do it all by themselves. We do realize that we can provide a platform. We can provide ideas and strategies, but it has to be done in partnership with the recruiting team. So our approach at Okta has been something which Brett and I have collectively worked on. And it has been an iterative process, to be honest, because recruiting is obviously existing in almost every company and DNI roles are more recent add-ons. So there is this piece of building the muscle for collaboration and trust which I think is very central to make effective, sustainable change. So a few things that we have done at Okta is I have brought in, obviously, the experience from the DNI perspective, but Britt's experience in terms of how is recruiting effective? What are the things that we can do? And I know Brett always looks at recruiting and talks about how can it be a sales role. And adding on the diversity lens to it has helped us bring in the perspective of we are not just doing this as a numbers game. We are not looking at DNI just because we want to hire X number of people from a certain demographic group. But we are looking at it from the perspective of how we can invite a wider talent pool to be part of Octa's community. And this is a community from which we can hire now or perhaps we can hire later. So creating those strategies And those experiences, I would say, has been a very central piece of what we have done. Specifically from the DNI side, we have launched into a lot of diverse sourcing partnerships. So these are community and professional organizations that give us access to a diverse pool of talent. And then we work with the recruiting team through our recruiting champions and our recruiting leaders to make sure that we're working with each line of business to bring in the talent around the time when we expect the headcount is going to increase, around the time we expect recs are going to open up. And if that's not happening, then we work with the recruiting team to make sure that this 
diverse talent that we are bringing in adds into what we call our talent pools or communities so that we continue to nurture them, we continue to engage with them, and then we can tap into this resource when the time is ready. For us, it has been a process where we have tried a few strategies, realized the challenges, and adjusted our strategy along the way. But it has overall been an exercise of building collaboration and trust between the two teams. I'd love to hear where the accountability resides. I think one of the issues that companies and leaders are trying to figure out is sort of who do I hold accountable for progress and whose number is trying to move? How does that work? In the DNI space, you have to hold someone accountable. And usually there are two schools of thought to this. One is perhaps it's your DNI leader who needs to be held accountable. And that's why you have these dedicated DNI roles and functions. And the second school of thought, it, it's the company's executive leadership that needs to be held accountable because they are the ones who have the positional power and who can make change. I usually look at it from the perspective that it's very important to understand that DNI is everybody's job. It's not like you need to essentially have that title to be able to make change around inclusion and belonging in your role. So the way I look at it and I talk to our leadership here is no matter which role or which position you're in, you always have an opportunity to look at what you're currently doing from the lens of how you can make it more inclusive, how you can build in a culture of belonging. The accountability for us is if you are a people manager, if you are in a position of power to hire, we are going to work with you in both educating you on why diversity is important and then working with you to bring about change. I basically am primarily responsible for making everybody else's job around diversity and inclusion easier. I can provide the platforms, I can provide the ideas, I can provide the strategies, but a lot of the implementation and the fact that you are invested in diversity and inclusion because you see the value of it has to come from the leaders and the business units. Can you think of a time where you had a conversation with one of those managers that you helped them change their point of view. I had a very interesting conversation with one of our executive leaders who is very committed to diversity. So we were having a conversation around the time when he was looking to hire one of his senior leadership roles. His commitment to diversity has obviously been very open. He has driven the company and a lot of our initiatives around that. And we are definitely super proud of that. But the conversation was very interesting because he said to me, for this particular senior leadership role, I would consider myself to have failed if I'm not able to hire a female leader in this role. That was super interesting to me because obviously this leader is super committed to diversity, wants to make a change. But two things that I tried to coach and guide him on The first was, would you still consider it to be a failure if you hire someone who's a person of color, but it's not a female? Would Mm -hmm. that be something you would even consider as like, okay, this is success? Was that a trick question or did you? (laughs) 
I was really coming from the space of like trying to challenge and educate. And that is what I see as my role in trying to help leaders see different perspectives around it. So categorically, I told him like, you know, you're doing a disservice to the leader even before you have brought him or her on board because perhaps you hire a female leader in this role. It could be that you are giving the impression that even though she was not skilled, you made the choice because you wanted to hire a female. So the idea here is that you are hiring for the best talent and best talent exists everywhere. So I encourage leaders to say that you are going to hire the best talent, but you're going to make sure your commitment is to make sure that you are hiring from a wider pool and you are controlling for identity bias. And Mm -hmm. that is going to set you up for success. I love how you put that. So it's not about you get a brownie point if you hire this person in this bucket, but rather it's about controlling for bias. Controlling for identity bias, exactly. Controlling for bias. I like that. That's 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 a really helpful way to think about it. Great story. Thank you. Brett, I'd love to hear a story uh, that you may have. Anything that you think you've done working with a hiring manager that has had that type of real impact. The story that comes to mind is, and again, I'm going to play off mine because she mentioned the person she was working with. It was interesting that they immediately went to gender as their diversity and gender and ethnicity are sometimes easier to measure. There are a lot of different types of diversity that maybe we don't know about that people aren't sharing and finding ways to tap into that as well. doesn't necessarily mean you're not looking to hire diversity if you're only focused on gender and ethnicity. And so That brings me to my story, which was I was working with a leader when I first got here and that person said, Hey, you know, we we really need to build a more diverse team. And I said, well, what have you done already to help drive that? I wanted to try to get a baseline of what's the work that's already been done. And their answer was, well, I haven't done much. My whole network is of very homogeneous talent pool. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. If that's the case, if your team is homogeneous, your network is homogeneous. What makes you qualified to lead a diverse team? And they just sat there and they were very quiet and they said, tell me more. And I said, well, you know, now more than ever, if you look at company websites and social media, more and more talent is saying that what's very important to them when they're joining a company is two things that come top top of mind, especially with the new generations is what is your social impact that the company's having and what are they getting behind? And what is their stance on diversity, inclusion, and belonging? And you'll see everything from careers pages, landing pages, outgoing communication, or companies, I think, that do it really well. They're very focused on this because they want to let that talent know that if you choose to consider us as an employer of choice, you will have a sense of belonging here because we foster and nurture that. And I think, you know, it's the first time someone had ever really asked that question to this leader. Mm. And I think they were very surprised by it. But what was nice is then we were able to pivot and take that conversation to, well, how do I go about building a diverse network. Because if you don't have a diverse network, even if you're putting all this communication out about come work for me, folks may look at you and say, I won't fit in on that team. They may see things that you're not thinking about. And so while we can certainly go and pipeline more diverse talent, we can ask other employees on the team to help us generate referrals. Hopefully some are diverse. If that leader isn't really focused on demonstrating that they are focused on building a diverse, inclusive team, we're not going to be that successful. Or even if we are, once people join, the rate of retention might not be what we want it to be. 
Right. And that gets into the whole idea that you hear sometimes that equity precedes diversity or belonging precedes diversity in the sense that you need a place first and foremost where everybody feels like they can show up and do their best work and where they belong. And only then do you set the stage to then hire more diverse talent. Is that something you all have focused on? Do the two of you work on that issue as well? It is a little bit of a chicken and egg. You don't want to wait to really build out your diversity hiring strategy until everybody's been fully trained on having the ability to create a more inclusive work environment with a sense of belonging. But at the same time, it's important that I think we're working on them in tandem. And, and Madhu and I have actually spent a lot of time on that the past couple of months thinking about that as part of our overall strategy. It's We can go build the pipelines through partnerships or being more intentional or get our employees more focused on high quality, diverse talent. But at the same time, we have to also have you know some of those workplace initiatives around training and developing our hiring managers and our interview teams and our onboarding teams. So once the people are onboarded in the company, you know, they feel like they belong, they can bring their whole self to work, and they can thrive. Madhavi, any advice? How are you working with your organization on inclusion and belonging? For us at Octet, it's super important that we have a holistic approach to this. So that is the reason why we have put our diversity, inclusion, and belonging efforts basically into three buckets. And the first is what we have already talked a lot about, which is around hiring and workforce. So that's our big workforce bucket. I also want to point out that we are very mindful of the fact that we are not just like sourcing diverse talent in our workforce bucket. But we are also making sure that our hiring practices are receptive of this. So the hiring trainings that we are providing, simple tricks and tips like we moved away from using the term culture fit in our interviewing to culture add. So that's part of our upgrading our hiring process as we are diversifying our talent pools. Another is to bring in the greenhouse inclusion nudges. To give you just a real-time reminder and nudge around how you can hire for more inclusivity and balance. And the second big bucket of where we put in our DIB efforts is what we call workplace. The idea to ensure that when we are bringing diverse talent and also the talent that we already have, which identifies across cultural and demographic diversity, they feel that they belong at Okta. They feel that their voice is heard. This is a community of which they are a part of. So a lot of our efforts are focused on making sure that we are creating initiatives around these specific communities, which is a lot of the work that our employee resource groups do. So building that sense of community, understanding the concerns of the underrepresented colleagues here at Okta and trying to understand how we address that. But we also understand that in our workplace bucket, we have premised all our programs on the foundation of inclusion. The idea is that we don't just want to provide programs which is for only the underrepresented minorities, though huge focus is there. But we also want to make sure that we are educating and supporting the majority community, which is where we bring in DIB micro trainings. How can you run more inclusive meetings. As Brett said, like we can provide you with diverse talent. Are you a leader that is able to make sure that that diverse talent feels belonged on your team? So we ensure bringing in a lot of those trainings as well. 
That's wonderful. I love the workforce, workplace, marketplace way of thinking about it. It opens up the aperture from the sort of narrow question of, hey, what's in the top of our funnel to a much more holistic way of thinking. I think that's really smart of you guys. Brett, you've talked about how recruiting can really work much like a marketing or a sales funnel can work. I'd love to hear more about that. I mean, what does that mean and how does it work and what's the role of your team versus executives in making that happen? What I mean by that is if you look at how recruiting teams have historically been built over time and what they're asked to do, it usually goes something like this. Company declares a bunch of open jobs. Recruiters get the job description. They meet with a hiring manager. They start sourcing. Typically, they do that in one of two ways. They post jobs and they look at the inbound or they have some tool or mechanism to contact candidates. Today, the hot product is LinkedIn. 15 years ago, it was Monster, so on and so forth. That can tend to be a very long cycle, several iterations of it, and it's very reactive. When I think about recruiting, I think it sets itself up to run much more like a sales and marketing organization if you choose to do so. And you can be very intentional in doing this. And what I mean is imagine a world where you already have a good understanding of what the company hires. The only thing that typically changes is maybe the level of geography, but it's the same skills and experiences. So if you organized around that and you decided that the product you were going to sell was a career at your company. So let's say our product is a career at Okta. How would you go to market to create demand for your product? Would you just post a job and hope people apply the right people? And would you just send emails or you know in-mails, if you will, one at a time. That's not really going to set you up for you know, success or to move as fast as probably companies need to, especially at scale. So, so the way we think about it here is you know, that product, the career at Okta, is what we're selling. And so we think of our recruiters as salespeople. And we think of taking a multi-channel approach. And what I mean by that is talent comes in through unlimited number of channels. So while we certainly post jobs and we certainly do some direct sourcing, we're talking about diversity partnerships. That's a great way to bring in talent, a contingent workforce population that you may convert to full-time employees over time. That's a channel. University recruiting, that's a channel. And, and the list yep. goes on and on and on. So yep. regardless of where talent is coming in, what we think about it from a sales and marketing perspective is one, we want to have a great value proposition. Two, we want to have a great story. Three, we have a pipeline generation team to go out there and create demand, both on and offline, much like a marketing organization. And then we measure and A-B test our channels. And as talent comes in organically through those channels, talent that's qualified and ready now to make a move, we want to get them in our active recs and try to hire them. But then what do you do with all this great talent that comes in that's qualified, but maybe isn't ready to make a move or we don't have the right job open? We want to be very intentional. We put them on our functionally focused talent pool. So for example, we have a talent pool of back-end infrastructure engineers. And we know at some point we'd like them to consider working for Okta. So the recruiters put the talent into that talent pool. And then we actually have marketing teams that multi-channel nurture and build relationships with that talent over time in hopes of if and when they decide they want to make a move, we're top of mind. And they can become active consumers of our job instead of us needing to go out and resource them in the future. And what we've seen is this is just a much more proactive way to work. Our recruiters are more salespeople. We have a pipeline team feeding them. We're doing lead generation proactively. We're measuring those different channels and investing or under-investing in those that are working better or worse for us. And then to bring this home with the DIB lens is 
the thing we're trying to do is be highly intentional about those talent pools. We know that through our organic channels, we're not going to probably get enough diverse talent. It's why you set up the partnerships. It's why you focus on direct sourcing of diverse talent. But as talent that is diverse comes through those channels and they're ready later, our goal is to have these talent pools have at least 51% of the talent in them diverse. That way, when we build these talent pools up, 200, 400, 500, 1,000 people, and we're building relationships, as higher percentages of them start flowing back into our regular pipelines, because now they're interested and we have the right role, we believe that's really going to help us hire a, a higher percentage of diverse talent through that pipeline. Got it. So the idea sort of is you can't necessarily control who applies for jobs directly through your website, but you can exert more influence over the building and nurturing of your talent communities. That's correct. And we can be very intentional about ensuring that our talent communities have a very high percentage of a diverse talent that are qualified for our jobs. So as overall a part of your mix, having that community or nurturing component fosters a more balanced hiring funnel. This is the way I explain it. It might sound simple, but it should make sense. I mean, think about when you, there's an online retailer where you use Nordstrom. If you go into Nordstrom and you sign up for you know, their emails and you buy something and you go back home, you may get a couple of emails. You may see banner ads pop up when you're on certain websites. They know who you are and they're trying to engage you and build a relationship with you over time to either make you become a new customer or be a continuing customer. It's the same approach. Right? Oftentimes that reactive recruiting is we'll reach out to someone or teams will reach out to someone. If they're not interested, they just move on and they forget about that person. That person could be a great fit three, six, nine, 12 months from now. It's how are you cultivating and nurturing the relationship with that leader prospect? I think that's the secret sauce and differentiation of how we're building our organization versus a lot of other companies. Monavi, I'd love to talk to you about the Inclusive Language Project. It's one of your initiatives at Okta. It's really intriguing. I'd love to hear more about what that is and how people responded. So we in the DNI space talk a lot about making sure that the language that we use is inclusive because words have meaning. They have a far deeper impact than what we realize. So we have been talking about making sure that our communications is very inclusive. And we from the DIB side have had suggestions on both our marketing sales pitches, like how can we make our language inclusive? This approach has been in place, I would say, since I joined Okta. But recently, in response to the Black Lives Matter movement, we had a lot of our people of color community and our ERG at Okta was, we were offering a lot of support to them through our safe space sessions. And we had a ton of allies who joined a lot of these sessions. And one thing that came out of those discussions were the allies really wanted to do something. They were like, you know, we, we just don't want to donate. We want to make like real change. And what can we do? And that's when a lot of people from our engineering and product teams came together. And we all put together in partnership with DIB, a working group, which is now tasked with making changes to using more inclusive terminology. The two exact pieces that we are working on right now are the words blacklist and whitelist and master and slave. So we are working through our product and engineering teams and trying and figure out what's the best way to make these updates, what would be the language changes. And it's very exciting for me to say this, that 
This is one of the projects adopted, which is not spearheaded by the DIB function. And that, to me, is very exciting. It's a project that people from different teams came together and have been implementing. I would say DIB is providing just overall guidance, but people are spending time out of their day jobs to make sure that we can bring about this change. So in addition to the fact that we are moving towards a more inclusive language, what is more exciting for me is the fact that here at Okta is a culture where everybody feels that they have ownership to bring change and they feel that they are empowered to have these conversations and lead these changes. So that is super exciting. We just kicked off the project a few weeks back, so it will take us some time to make the changes, but I'm thrilled that we are moving in the right direction and with the right community approach. Super interesting and, and really neat to your point that it, you're starting to see empowerment and activity by individual employees, so it's not so centralized and top-down. That must be really exciting and rewarding. Okay, great. That's all the time we have today. I'm Adavi and Brett from Okta. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. It was fun. Yeah, thanks for having us. I'm joined today, as always, by my friend Ariel Lopez. Ariel is the founder and CEO of NAC, a data-driven talent platform. Hey, Ariel. Hey, Dan. What's going on? Great to talk to you again. I was thinking recently about sponsorship, in other words, supporting the employees that work inside your organization. And the question came into my head, why does sponsorship or mentoring people matter in a hiring context? That happens after you hire people. It has everything to do with retention. If we're thinking about diversity, you want employees that see growth for themselves within the company. And I don't know from your experience what you found, but I think employees leave when they hit a wall. I don't think I'm going to be able to grow here. I don't think my manager sees an opportunity for me to elevate in the company. I don't have a roadmap for myself. I don't know what that trajectory looks like. So I think the best sponsors are able to work with those people and help them realize their potential. What have you seen on your side? Building on that, if you mentor talented people up in the organization, then when you go to recruit the next generation of folks, they can look at your company and they can see themselves in the ranks and in the leadership and growth potential. And if they don't see that, then kind of doesn't matter what you say in the job description or how many nice pictures of diverse folks you put on your website. It's not, they're going to buy it. If you're willing to invest in that mentorship and actually give people real work to do that actually helps grow their skills, not just put them on diversity programs, but actually involve and invest in them, then it helps to build your overall talent brand. And it really gives people a reason to believe you that it's a place they should come work. A hundred percent. I think this is where the inclusion and diversity and inclusion comes into play. People want to be able to show up as their full selves and also show up in a way that they know there's growth on the other side. It doesn't just stop in the role that they're at today, but they're able to keep elevating in the organization. And I think good managers, good mentors, sponsors, and allies are able to do that. Truth. Always a pleasure, Ariel. Great to talk to you again. Thanks for talking to me too, Dan. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and review the podcast and stay tuned for our next episode.